Qui est le poète? Who is a poet? is a bilingual podcast in French and English. We reflect on the sacredness of this function and its essential mission for the collective with guest poets on the show. Poets from the past, present, and maybe future come for a visit to enlighten our perception of beauty, harmony, transcendence, and union. Their creative process and emotional journey into creation is also at the heart of our discussions. Welcome. My name is Muriel Mobingu, and I am a poet. Jeannie Nakano is a third-generation Japanese-American poet born in Los Angeles. She is a dancer. Jeannie founded her own dance company after performing with Eartha Kitt and Great Leap. Jeannie is the daughter of a prolific writer and poet, Tom Nakano, and she has been the California Arts Council resident artist for five consecutive years and received several awards. Jeannie is the author of Fragrant Memories, a memoir, Enter the Stream, a collection of Highboon. She is also the member of the Southern California Haiku Society and a savvy tanka writer. Her work has appeared in Atlas Poetica, Ribbons, etc. Jeannie is a lover of movement, music, dance, poetry. She's a yogini and she's Kiele Poet's host. We are delighted to have her and discuss the beauty of Tanka. Welcome, Jeannie. My father was a poet too. You Your father that. was a poet. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And he used it to heal himself. Yes, yes. He used poetry to heal himself? I'm sure he did because when he died, there were like 10 boxes, huge boxes of journals and tape and um, poems. Um, I read them about two weeks ago in in Angora Poets. And um, actually, everyone's pushing me to put a book together of his poem. So it's been yeah. heavy in my shoulders to do this because yes. I also have my own work. Of course. I want to keep working on, but so many people this month have been saying, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. People have been e emailing me and I go, Jesus. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, he must have been a vibrant poet. I mean, it's just, um, it's great. But I also understand, you know, it's important to focus on your work and people get carried away sometimes. To just, yeah, because yeah. for me, poetry is a therapy too, a, a healing, and I need to do it for myself, you know. Yeah. Yes. I have to do it every day now. Yeah. When I was younger, a little child, um, my uncle gave me a journal, one of those black sketchbooks. Yes. And it said, from Uncle Jay Wuzo to Jeannie Weenie, write your own book. Uh -huh. That's when I started, when I was eight years old, just writing little stories about birds and my cats and my mother and my father and school. And then it just kept going on. I never stopped. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. You always had this immense creativity from, you know, the get go when you were a child and 
Yeah, and I was encouraged by my father. Yes. Um, and then, uh, it, like I said, they were just journals. And yes. sometimes I'd write poetry. And then I became a dancer, much to the dismay yes. of my yes. parents. I mean, they, that was one thing they didn't want me to do. You know, it's fine if I become a sumier painter or a Hiroshige type of painter, but dancing was considered to my generation, my parents' generation, maybe not so much my generation, but my parents' generation, as showing off. Oh, really? Huh, yeah. Interesting. Oshade. So... I was never encouraged to dance. I had to do it all on my own, fund my own self, yes. put myself through college and everything because they weren't so impressed with dancing. Okay, so the other artistic jobs, occupations are fine, but dancing is considered wrong? Kind of like show-offy. Oh, um, this is interesting. Wow. Well, unless I went into to classical Japanese, you know. Okay or no or because well, I couldn't go into kabuki because yeah. it's only men and actually no is only men but traditional Japanese dance if I went into that it would have been okay, okay. putting the kimono and the yes white face and yes. everything but not the kind I was involved in <laughs> okay. So okay it was just not encouraged and I was just I loved it And it was only till my hips actually gave out and I had to get two hip replacements. Mm -hmm. And that ended my dance career. <laughs> yeah. And then I was already writing, but that really made me sit down and write when I couldn't dance anymore. <laughs> and that, that's when dancing became so important to me. It was like it... I was actually depressed and down and out when I couldn't dance anymore. Yes. It was, Yes. I didn't know what yeah. to do with myself at all. And I had a nice little dance troupe and we were all very close, all women. And it was just so nice to rehearse and meet every week. And then it was gone. Yeah. Yeah. And so poetry helped you through the, through this. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It lifted me up. I mean, now it's my main way. It's so meaningful for me right now. It takes all my time. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. And I love that Zoom came into being, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's just a miracle for writers. It it's probably going to make a lot more writers in the world, don't you think? We have this platform now where we can exchange um among writers, but also, you know, share our work, share our writings. Before Zoom, it was just, you know, you had to be somewhere, you had to be invited somewhere. And now you just need a laptop, you need an internet connection, a Wi-Fi, and you're doing your thing and you can, you know, you can share your poetry with the world. It's really beautiful. Yeah, I love technology, but we, we lack some kind of morality or, or morals around the use of technology. I understand that uh, poetry helped you through the ordeal with your hips. But prior to that, did you experience the desire to, to write poetry? Or did you feel that there was something in you that needed that kind of expression? The fact that I had to write in a journal every day. Yes. Yeah. Um, sometimes they'd come out in poems, but I just had to write in a journal every day to uh -huh. 
I guess, understand myself and the world. And I dream a lot. So I would write down all my dreams. Oh, beautiful. And I had a stack full of journals. Some of them, some of them I still have, but the ones that I had from childhood, you know, because I moved around so much when I was, uh, I've been married many times. Oh, <laughs> chapters in my life. And yeah. it seemed like when I would break up in a marriage, I kind of leave everything behind. Yeah. So I have a lot of journals that are gone. But I don't mind it. Every, writers tell me, oh, that's horrible. I have every single journey uh, journal I've written my oh, whole God. life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. And I don't miss it. I would feel bad if I lost my whole poetry that I've been doing since I gave up dance. When I didn't give it up, but since I couldn't perform like I used to. Yes. I would feel sort of sad because... I've worked on them so much. Some of them I've worked on so much, but my journals were just like, well, one of my art teachers calls it journals are like vomiting. You know, you just put everything out there. So that's what they were. And and yeah. sometimes I don't even want to look back. Yes, I understand. Yeah, it's the, the catharsis process. You know, the, I've been having these conversations with poets for almost a year now. And, and we, we all went through something like that you know using poetry as an a sort of as a, a vessel for our pain and so the pain the disgust whatever we're experiencing that's negative and so it's very common in poets what i'm trying to understand is they don't react we don't react the same way um you just said that i i'm fine with letting them go but a lot of poets actually they hold on to that pain and and i think it's detrimental you know to their well-being and and even creativity because you don't move on i mean if you if you associate your writing with your pain and with a, a specific point in time where you are in pain i mean there's no there's no room for something new to come into your life. So I'm pretty amazed because this is the first time I'm hearing a poet say, oh, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine leaving my journals behind and my poetry when I was in pain or, or having hardships. This is really interesting. I mean, it's just, it's the first time. Yeah. Well, you know, my husband says to me, I have a temper. I don't, you know, I just really have a, I, it just comes out. I'll just be, you say something to me, well, especially my husband, maybe not you, Maria. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> That's a terrible poet. I'm a woman. I understand. <laughs> you know, you people that live close to you, like your husband or, you know, your family, especially your husband, I think he'll say something to me and boom. It just, I don't know. I yeah. turned into a volcano. And then he's just surprised that five minutes later, it's over with me. Yeah. You know, whereas he might when we get into a fight, bring up something 10 years ago or something, or maybe the last argument. Yeah. And he says, I don't know how you do it. You just get really mad. And then it's and just then it's gone. gone. And I don't know, but. Uh. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's and wonderful. It's just, I, sometimes I don't want to do that because you hurt people. You know, yeah. you just fly off the handle. Yeah. Um, that's one thing that I don't like about it. 
And it's difficult to control. I mean, emotions are just so powerful and people who are used to, like, like poets and artists, to me, these are the same people. We're used to, we're very intimate with our emotions and we don't fear them, which is not the case of other human beings who are non-poets and non-artists. And so it's difficult to control, but at the same time, we're used to, we know them, we know our emotions. So we know that we're not going to hurt anybody. It's not to hurt anyone. It's just that it has to come out. And yes, it's difficult for the people around us because sometimes they don't get it. It's just, <laughs> why? What are you doing? <laughs> Why are you like this? And then, le lendemain, in French, sometimes I have these lapses. I forgot my my words. Okay, so the day after the fight, it's it's over. Or sometimes it's just one hour or two hours after you know you had the argument, and then it's over, and you're back to to normal. I think this is a very spiritual way of you know relating to people too, because well, from what I've observed, spiritual people don't. They don't hold on to their emotions like that. You know, sometimes my poetry may sound like it's not heavy enough or deep enough. I think one of my friends, he said, oh, you've got to go deeper. You've got to go like uh, maybe some stuff about abuse or something like that. But no, why? (laughs) Yeah. And yesterday I went to uh, hear Nikki Giovanni. So um, someone asked her about... She said, I had a, a, a top, ectopic pregnancy, which I did. And actually, my first seven tonka were about that experience. Yes. And it's the first seven that I ever wrote. I sent it into a publisher and they published it. And I thought, wow, I guess uh, tonka must be something that is me, you know, and it encouraged me to stay in that form for 10 years. Yes. Now I'm going out into free verse and reading a lot of other poets that, like, uh, well, I've always read her, but now I'm really reading her is uh, Maya Angelou and Gwendolyn yeah. Brooks and Nikki yeah. Giovanni. But anyway, what she said yesterday, some a young woman, she didn't show her face on the Zoom. She said, I had an ectopic pregnancy and I want to write about it, but I don't know how. And Nikki just answered her and she said, if you don't know how, you're not ready yet. Just wait a little while, maybe do some research, talk to your friends, you know. And I thought, wow, that's so interesting because some people would say, push deeper, go deeper, you know, this and that. And so I really thought, wow, this is more like the way I write, you know, I kind of let things come very spontaneously to me. And I just, I love it when you just write, 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 write. And then later on, you kind of chisel it out. Yeah. Yeah. And then what I love about the form that I've been in love with for 10 years, the Tonka, it is a long time ago, I think I sent you the history of it. It was called Waka, which means... Yes, please let us know about the history of, of Tonka because that was my, my next question and and why people are so obsessed with haiku and they don't even know about Tonka. What is this thing? You know, personally, I think it's because haiku is more masculine. Haiku, Tonka is the mother of haiku. 
Oh, I like this. It was almost maybe a thousand years older. It is the oldest form of prose or poetry in Japan. I like this. So it came down, 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 and it went through the villages where it was sung. It was waka. It was a song. The, 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 the waka poems would come to the village, and then suddenly everyone would come and listen to them sing their waka thousands of years ago, before people could read or write. And then it came into the imperial courts in the golden age of literature. And that golden age, mainly it was women who were the writers like um, uh, Murasaki. She yeah. was the first woman, you know, who wrote the tales of the Genji. And then the imperial courts, the women would write tanka, kind of almost like a game, you know, writing back and forth to each other. One would write, another would respond. So a large part of Tonka is called Tonka response. And it's a lot of fun. That's how I learned how to write Tonka. I'll tell you about that later. So it was on that level. And it was women who made this flourish. It was the golden age of Tonka, the Heian period, like 11th to the 14th century. And then like I said, it, there was a lot of, um, I guess, free love in the imperial courts, you know, a lot of adultery, a lot of yes. lovers and one night stands. But you always had to write a tanka after you had your affair. You, you can have as many as you want, but you have to write your lover a tanka. So the tanka would be written, sent out by horse, maybe delivered on a golden fan, maybe on a silk scroll, but it was delivered. And then maybe not all the Tonka was nice. Maybe he might say, you know, you're not my type, you know, whatever. But some of them were quite beautiful. And so it flourished during that period and the women were so good at it. And um, then it kind of got formularic. You know, it's like love was easy to write about. Like it still kind of is. There's a lot of formularic love poems, right? Yeah. Because people know we love to talk about love and this and that. So, well, at least I do. Um, and uh, so it got formularic and kind of stale. And that's when it started losing its popularity. And then the war came. Yes. I think either the First World War or the Second. And then it all, every poet, everything got censored. You know, oh. it, it had to be about the war. Oh. There couldn't be happy things anymore. Even um, oh, my husband's favorite Japanese singer. Oh, I forgot her name. Anyway, they were not allowed to sing happy songs. Everything had to be warlike. She learned how to sing in her closet oh by playing songs because you couldn't play happy songs. So you couldn't have too many tonka. It had to be about the war, the war, the war, the war, uh, oh. military. But anyway, during the 16th century, this is prior to the war, haiku came out of tonka. It was called hoku. The first three lines were a haiku. Then the second, it was separate. Separate were two lines, which came after the three, which tonka is five. So okay. it started with three, and the next two were like that. And they were community writings. They were done in taverns where 
Hmm. The travelers where the men would get together and drink. Hmm. And they'd, 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 they'd have these renkus. They're called renkus. And um, they're a lot of fun. They're still doing it today. Yeah. And I'm involved in a renku group. But the renku has a certain formula. They're, they're like kind of long. They go all night. And the men would just start. The master would start it. Probably he'd end it. And they'd yell out a poem. And they had to be very witty and they and quick. And mainly at the beginning, they were kind of body. They liked to talk about, oh, she had freckles on her butt. But I liked her, you know, stuff like that. Yes. Drunk, you know, and, and it gets rowdier and rowdier through the night. And women were not allowed. Oh, women were yeah, women allowed. were not allowed. They were not allowed into the taverns. So there weren't many women haiku poets. And then it evolved more and more. It got like Basho developed it and other people developed it. And then the beats really liked it like yes of course yeah and so they brought it to the united states and they're all men if you notice most of the beats yes the beats are all men yeah that's an interesting observation yes yeah so i really think it's my own personal thought that haiku got more popular because of the beats and because it's a masculine form and it's also associated with sin but so is tonka Yes. Tonka, many of the women that were great Tonka poets became nuns in their latter life. Mm. So you can't say it's because it was Zen that made it so popular in the United States. I I kind of think it's because of the beats and because it had a masculine, more masculine feel to it, which it does. Yes. Because it's more objective. Yes. It has a lot more rules. It has to be such and such. It has to have a kiriji, a cutting, and um, this and that. Whereas Tonka, you can just write it. You know, it, it can just be one story of its own. And today they're making it so that it has a little more rules, that it has, a, has to have that cutting point, that one is an observation, the first three lines is an observation, and the last two are an insight. But... I never wrote it that way. I wrote it the way I wanted to write it. And when I looked at the classical, the classical way of writing Tonka, they didn't put that little uh, pivot, yes. pivot in. It was just any way they felt like it. And I like that about rigid, not so rule bound. We don't say it has to have a kigo. We don't say that it has to be objective. It can be about love. It can be about anything. And it's not divided into if it's about hum- human affairs, it's a senryu, if it's got a kigo in it, it's yeah. classical. We don't have that. It's tonka. It's tonka. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful the way you talk about this. And what, I'm so happy. I didn't know there was another poetic form and I didn't even, I have never heard of tonka before. The first time I came across a Haiku, it was, I think it was in a book by Daizen Deshimaru. He's, he's, he's a, a, a Zen monk. Oh, okay. And, and, and he was expressing enlightenment. And so there were many haikus. And the thing that shocked me is that the haiku were visual. So it's, 
you know, it's it's a work of art in itself. But when it's transcribed in English or in French, there's not, you know, this visual aspect of it anymore. It's gone. Yeah. yeah I think it's very difficult to translate Japanese into yeah. English. And even the form that the way it's written in Japan is completely different because it's one straight line. Yeah. Here in America, it's always three, right? But it's one straight line and it's beautiful because it's calligraphy. Yes. Yeah, at the beginning of haiku, there was a lot of corresponding of artists and the haiku poet. Yeah. She would write the the painter would paint next to it, you know, the sumie, the watercolor, because yeah. it could go fast too, just yeah. like home. And yeah. you'd have a painting next to it. So there was a lot of collaboration. And that sounds so beautiful. I wish we could have right now I am studying uh, Japanese watercolor and I and calligraphy. I just came from the class yes. and I was talking to the teacher about the collaboration and and the and he has so much knowledge of Japanese watercolor. I'm really blessed to, to learn under him. Yeah, that that's haiku back then. It's changing so much now here in America. Yes. Well, you know, I was thinking how you said you never uh, knew about Tonka. You never heard about it, and yeah. it's true that hardly anyone knows about it. There's there are many. Um, Tonka societies now that are coming out, not many, let me take that back, but there are a few Tonka things online where people could write their Tonka. You're just an, an amazing and mature poet, which is, which is a compliment for me, right? And so, yeah, because sometimes I say you're a mature poet and some people don't like it. They say, what do you mean? You mean I'm old? No, I, I mean... I'm talking about maturity of the soul, right? <laughs>